Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. I'm your host, Sky Guasco. You are listening to the Candlestick Kids Fantasy Football Podcast. Please follow us on Instagram at fantasy football underscore TCK pod and on Twitter at TCK underscore pod. You can find all of our rankings and multiple articles at TCKpod.com. We've got a lot to cover, so let's get into it. Yo, yo, it is Dweez Nuts here with a stat rat episode. I'll tell you what, though. Uh, every time I hear that intro, man, it just gets me bopping a little bit, gets me in the mood, gets me ready to go. Maybe one of these days I'll sing you a little Stat Rat song uh, right after it to, to make a nice transition into what we do here. This is The Candlestick Kids, a.k.a. TCK Pod, episode 276. I've got you here for the next 20 minutes or so. We're going to talk stat rats. We're going to dive deep into some stats, talk about some players that don't seem like they might be worth adding, but I promise you they are. And then we're going to go behind the scenes a little bit today. I'm going to pull back the curtain. I'm going to give you a little bit, uh, a glimpse into what goes on back here when I'm staring at my damn computer screen, uh, prepping for this show for you guys each week. Should be fun Find us all on Twitter, guys, if you can, at TCK underscore pod, or you can find me at Dweez Nuts, all C's, no S's over there on Twitter. Instagram, fantasy football underscore TCK pod, uh, you'll find Sky there. I'm also at Dweez Nuts on Instagram, but I can't even tell you the last time I fucking looked at that, so don't bother. Go to TCKpod.com, because what the hell else are you doing with your time, people? Sitting at a stoplight, whip out the phone. Scroll over to TCK Pod and enjoy until the guy behind you honks angrily. All right, let's dive in. We're going to do a deep dive here. Um, We're going to pull the curtain back, and I'll finish off here. I promised last week we're going to start looking at strength of schedule stuff. We will do that for quarterbacks today. I've got a guy, a running back here that I like that I think you should be targeting, even though he seems to be disappointing. In fact, if somebody drafted him to their team, He's been disappointing. You can probably try to go get him. Scored this week, but uh, still not putting up the numbers that the owner, the drafter, would hope for. It's Kenyon Drake. Now, to be clear, I'm recording this episode before Kenyon Drake's Monday night game. I'm recording it here Monday night. In fact, I'm I'm fucking, I'm watching the Kansas City-Buffalo game as it's playing right now. Third quarter of that game. And uh, reeling over that. Travis Kelsey fumble at the end of the first half, but I guess two first half touchdowns will make up for a fumble all day. We're spoiled. We're spoiled, us Kelsey owners. Anyway, Kenyon Drake is a guy that I think you should go and target in large part because despite his disappointing production, the team still trusts him. He's still got the volume, and and while the entirety of this offense is sort of tripping over their own feet right now, we know that they have the potential to go off. Now, when I say target Kenyon Drake, I want to make it clear. He was drafted by somebody as a top-end RB2 
um, maybe maybe somewhere between uh, 13 and 15, 16 in your league. He's probably not that. He is somebody that should be a lower-end RB2. However, the owner of the league is probably probably frustrated enough that he barely wants to start him outside the flex in each given week. So maybe go for it. But look, the guy's number eight in snap share on the league in uh, of all running backs. Number 10 in running back carries. And again, that includes week six for everybody that's already played. Kenyon Drake has not played. He's, all, he's still number 10 in running back carries. So that's nice and impressive. He's the ninth running back in uh, team rush attempt percentage. So he's got the Ninth most, the ninth highest percent of the team's running back carries of all backs in the league. He's getting the ball. The concern and the problem, and and quite frankly, part of the reason he's struggling to produce, I think, is the pass game. Right now, Drake's sitting at 1.2 targets per game. That's disturbing. Chase Edmonds, on the other hand, 4.6 targets per game. That's to his 3.8 rushes per game. Last season... I'm not going to say that Kenyon Drake was a premier pass catcher, but I think he had mid-30s target numbers on his limited time in Arizona, and it was a nice complimentary piece. Some of his bigger plays came in that passing game. I don't know that he's going to get that back, which is what says to me, put him around running back 20, maybe 20 to 25 is where he should be. I think you can get value. I think you can get him for cheaper than that. He is, interestingly, um, four four red zone touches, goal line rather, touches inside the five-yard line, leads his team. Kyler has two, Edmonds has one. Two of those came last week for Kenyon Drake uh, versus the New York Jets. In fact, he had two out of three goal line carries. Kyler had the other one. So a lot of promising things here and a lot of things that say, hey, even if he's not necessarily producing the way we want right now, the team is still giving him the ball. And when it comes down to it, with running backs especially in fantasy football, volume has to be the first thing we look at because if, if you look at the big runs, if you look at uh, yards after contact or yards per carry, you're mi- if you're touchdowns even, you're missing something. You want, you want volume because volume is more predictable and all we do in fantasy football is make predictions. What is the most likely thing to happen? Well, fact is, if I guess the guy's getting the ball 18 times a game, he's more likely to uh, put up decent numbers and somebody getting the ball eight times a game. So volume is predictable. We like predictability in that RB2 spot. Kenyon Drake is a target. Another running back here that I'm going to recommend as a stash. Now, this one's a bit of a surprise. Um, he, I, I say stash here because you're certainly not going to be ready to play him in the next week or two, but it's LaMichael P. Ryan. And before, it, before you turn off the show, listen, I watched him last week when he finally got a decent amount of touch. And I know that he did not look good. One nice run, the rest of his work looked pretty bad against a bad Miami run defense. But there are some promising things. I should start out this whole thing with the disclaimer that I was really high on LaMichael P. Ryan coming out of college in the draft. He was my RB6, in fact, in my final college running back rankings. Uh, I had him ahead of Cam Akers. So make of that what you will. He was behind only the 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 big five. Okay, so the reason I liked him though, he reminded me a lot of uh, Devin Singletary, one of my favorite guys coming out of college in his year a couple of years ago. Taller, slightly stronger than a Devin Singletary, but they're both very hard to tackle. Excellent tackle breakers. Uh, impeccable balance for both of them on contact. Both have really strong lower bodies. 
neither guy, Devin Singletary, or the guy we're actually talking about, LaMichael P. Ryan, a big play breaker, not a great amount of speed, not an incredible amount of open field elusiveness. These are guys that are tough to tackle in tight spaces, and I like that. Uh, in a guy like a Michael P. Ryan, who adds another you know, 15 pounds to what Devin Singletary brings. He's four inches taller than what Devin Singletary brings. I think Michael P. Ryan has the opportunity to be a pretty good back in this league. One of my favorite things about him is his hands. Dude has incredible, incredible hands. Talk about a natural pass catcher. I'm not sure you can find a uh, uh, reception last season from Florida where the ball hit his body. He's a hands out in front, go out and snatch the ball kind of pass catcher. And if if the Jets can start to use him that way, I think that would be helpful. The issue, I'm sure, is that he was never asked to pass block. And when he did do it in Florida, he was trash at it. So he's got to get better at that before he can get on the field. But this is why he's a stash guy now. Because as he gets better at things like that, the little things, he's going to get more and more time on the field. That's a good thing. In fact, he led snap share this week, the first week without Le'Veon Bell there, the first week without uh, Kalen Balaj and Le'Veon Bell uh, on the team. 58% of the snap share. Gore only had 35%, even though Gore out-touched him 15-10. to 10. Ty Johnson had 6%. He was pretty new there. Ty Johnson might, might end up being a thorn in our side longer than we want uh, us LaMichael P. Ryan owners, but I think he's a guy that you're going to want to stash. He had the most touches that he's had yet on the season 10. In fact, last week, the coaching staff took LaMichael Pirine off of special teams, which doesn't seem like a lot, but it's a good sign that they want him more involved in the offense, healthier for the offense. You know, they don't have a lot of depth at running back right now after cutting a running back twice in the last two weeks. So uh, he's somebody He's somebody that clearly should be a bigger part of this offense moving forward. Frank Gore is 36 years old. He's not going to be able to carry the load forever not even over the course of an entire season, likely, as ageless as he is. Add to that, Makai Becton should be back from injury this week, probably in Week 7 anyway. If not, it'll be Week 8. He is the best lineman they have by a long shot. George Fant back on the right side of that line as well. So so, so the bookends on this offensive line are going to be better. That's going to improve uh, the interior of the line as well. Sam Darnold returning from injury, likely in Week 7. Uh, it's going to help all the offensive pieces. I think LaMichael Pirani is a nice stash. And you know what? If I'm not going to be terribly surprised if three weeks from now, uh, coming out of their bye, LaMichael Pirani is high on people's waiver wire target list, ad list. Uh, so if you want to jump ahead of that curve, if you've got a b- roster spot for it, I think you should uh, go and do that. All right. Those are two guys I like. Two deep dives on some guys I like. Now what I want to do, instead of giving you some guys that I don't like, some guys that are not as good as advertised, I want to give you some stats that I like to look at, some disturbing stats, okay? I spend a lot of time looking at a lot of different spreadsheets with statistical information on it. I want to give you guys a little bit of a peek behind the curtain. Some of the some of the stat categories that mean something to me because there are a thousand different stats for any given position in the league that you can find out there if you've got 20 bucks and you're willing to subscribe to this stat collector or that stat collector. Uh, I'll give you just a few that I like that you can start looking at yourself uh, to start kind of digging in your uh, on your own, doing your own research to see uh, who's worthy of a target and who's not. Today we're going disturbing stats only. These are stats that, you know, if you're leading this list, it's a big, big, big red flag for me. And I'm not willing to target these guys unless they, unless they can do something about that, uh, fix their spot on these lists. Let's start at the quarterback position. 
the first one has to be on-target throws. Now, there's a lot of a lot of stats for quarterbacks that have nothing to do with the quarterback's play themselves. Uh, and you know what? There is an external factor for on-target throws as well. You know, lots of pressure means you're not likely to be on target. If you have newer, younger wide receivers out there, you know, you may not be on the same page. But when you look over the course of right now, we've got 100 or so, 120 pass attempts for a lot of these quarterbacks, more uh, than that for many you get to you start to get more confident and confident in a stat like this. And if you look at right now the bottom five quarterbacks in the on target percentage category, you got Jimmy Garoppolo, who, you know, this week he was good. Last week before he went out, he was garbage. And fantasy owners know he's hard to trust in general. Uh, he's sitting at 48.5% of his passes on target right now. Nick Foles, 55.3, and we know who Nick Foles is. Cam Newton, 59.1, and you might have been excited about that Seattle game where he threw 370 yards, but he's he's not throwing the ball well now. Carson Wentz, also really struggling this year. 59.3% of his passes are on target. You know, Carson Wentz leads the league in quarterback turnovers right now between his fumbles and interceptions. It's not a good season to be an Eagles fan. The only other quarterback in the league right now who is below 60% of their passes on target is Phillip Rivers. And again, if you drafted Phillip Rivers late expecting to have a nice option as your QB2, uh, you've been really disappointed. He's been very disappointing for fantasy owners and likely for Colts fans as well. But that's one stat that I don't like. Another stat that I want to mention here, quarterbacks, that really puts me off uh, is average time in the pocket. Now, I want to clarify this. There's two reasons a quarterback might have a very low average time in the pocket. One could be that that's a game plan issue. This is what the coaching staff wants to do. Quick hitters, get the ball out. Two-step drops, get the ball out. Um, That's absolutely possible. The other reason is that this off, their offensive line is not giving them that time. The pocket is collapsing on them. So when I look at this stat, I often combine it with a sack rate as well, percentage of dropbacks that end in sacks to give me a better idea what's going on. So if you look at the bottom on this list, Nick Foles is averaging 1.7 seconds in the pocket. That's very, very quick. But if you combine that with his only 2.6% sack rate, that tells us that this is it's not because he's getting pressured, it's not because he's getting hurt, it's not because he's getting knocked down as much as it's because the coaching staff, Matt Nagy, wants to get the ball out of Nick Foles' hands. So while he's at the bottom of that list, it's not as concerning as our next guy, Jimmy G. We see him pop up again, 1.8 seconds in the pocket. Combine that with his 7% sack rate. More than three times that of Nick Foles. And now we're seeing a a pattern, a trend, an offensive line that was supposed to be real good, not keeping Jimmy G upright, not giving him the time to work down the field. Fitzmagic comes in here. We know his sack numbers on the year up there with anybody else's. 1.8 seconds in the pocket, 5% sack rate. Uh, Disturbing. We also know that that's what Fitzmagic does, right? He doesn't need a lot of time. He's going to have huge plays and he's going to have huge disappointments, but it is what it is. Big Ben, 1.8 seconds in the pocket, 4.8% sack rate. So when you combine those two guys, it gives you an idea of what's happening, what this quarterback is seeing coming at him. Uh, and uh, that can mean a lot for a guy. You know, Big Ben doesn't necessarily need a bunch of time either. Really smart, really intelligent quarterback. Been doing it a long time. But you look at somebody like Jimmy G., 
who he may he may be up there in age, but he's his games under his belt aren't where you want. Uh, he's not necessarily as ready as Big Ben to get rid of the ball in 1.8 seconds and still be as successful as Ben's been able to be. Let's switch over to running backs real quick. I'm just going to give you one stat category here that I don't like for running backs, and it's broken tackles. I want my running backs to break tackles. Okay, you'll have the occasional back that doesn't need to break a bunch of tackles in order to have an incredible production on the field, and we'll get to that in a second, but... There are other guys, like our first one here is Joe Mixon, okay? Joe Mixon is breaking a tackle, on one tackle on every 59 and a half carries. That's one tackle about every two and a half games, guys. If you're a Joe Mixon owner, you know how frustrating it's been watching him run into tacklers and go down. Uh, if he starts to break these tackles, we can start to see some of the production we saw at the end of last season, but he's not doing it yet. That's disappointing. Alexander Madison comes in second here. One broken tackle every 54 carries. And again, if you picked up Madison this week to roll him out with Cook out, you were very disappointed. Number three on this list is the exception. It's Raheem Mostert. Only breaking a tackle at once every 15, 51 carries, but Raheem Mostert's not getting touched for seven yards down the field when he touches the ball. Okay, Raheem Mostert is juking people out, doesn't have to break tackles because he's not getting hit. Uh, He is the exception. You have to put these things into context. Another guy, Jonathan Taylor here, 44 and a half carries before he breaks a tackle. Not what we'd like to see. After the first couple of weeks in the season, we were jacked about Jonathan Taylor. He's been sort of disappointing ever since. And that's because he's not getting a lot more than what the defense is giving him. 44 and a half carries per broken tackle is not great. Let's switch again to wide receivers here, guys. Uh, One stat category I like to look at is drop percentage, obviously. Because you're dropping the ball means you're not making the catch. You're not getting as many catches, yards, and all that. But the other thing that's more concerning is that you're likely to lose your quarterback's trust if you're dropping the ball a lot. And I think this is part of what's happening with our number one. Top of the list, it's Tyler Lockett, who started the year out with a damn bang. He looked great beginning of season. And we saw, even even in our last game here, when Russell Wilson's in trouble, he's not looking at Lockett anymore. He's looking at Metcalf. And that has to be at least in part because 13.2% of Tyler Lockett's passes are being dropped. You can't rely on a guy like that. Stephon Diggs here, number two. Um, just watching the game right now, I've seen him drop a couple of passes that, you know, Diggs used to have the best contested catch rate in the league by a ton. Uh, he's he's dropping balls in Buffalo that he wouldn't have done before, 11.8% of them, in fact. And while he hasn't lost Josh Allen's trust yet because his incredible ability to run routes. Uh, I'd be a little concerned. Alan Lazard comes in third at 11.8. Anthony Miller, 11.5. And we see he's already been displaced by Darnell Mooney. Troublesome. The last one I look at here for wide receivers is passer rating when targeted. So, you know, you want a guy that makes his quarterback look better. Again, that's how you earn a quarterback's trust. Make catches that are tough catches. Do something with the ball when you've got it. Worst in the league right now is John Hightower, 21.1 passer rating when targeted. But next up is T.Y. Hilton at 51.9. We know his quarterback play is not great, but he's not making him any better. Lastly, A.J. Green, 53.5. That's Burrow's passer rating when he's thrown at A.J. Green. When you're not making your quarterback look better, you're less likely to get looks from your quarterback, okay? These are important stats, stats that I like to start with when I'm looking at these things, stats that you can dig into a little bit on your own, We'll rip off this last part real quick 
Quarterback strength is schedule. I'll give you a handful of guys whose schedules should get a lot easier going forward and a handful of guys whose schedules should get a lot tougher going forward at the quarterback position. The easiest schedule rest of season for a quarterback is New England. Now, Cam's only faced one touch matchup. He got destroyed uh, versus Denver here, but I believe that was this week. He's not going to have a lot of these moving forward, so you might be able to have some confidence and maybe even going after a guy like Cam, knowing that his owner's pissed and maybe willing to, to move off of a guy that should have an easy go rest of season. Dallas Cowboys have a great strength of schedule as well for quarterbacks, but we're going to have to see if this even matters. Wouldn't have matter with Dak who they played. We'll see what Andy Dalton does um, later tonight, in fact. You'll know by the time you're listening to this. The New York Giants have one of the easiest schedules for quarterbacks going forward as well. Have had a very difficult schedule going uh, for them thus far. Even in the easy games against Dallas. And Chicago's pass defense has not been very good. Daniel Jones' output has not improved. So I'm still out on Daniel Jones for now. His best game, in fact, was against the best pass defense in the league. That's Pittsburgh. So real confusing. Uh, I'm not touching that just yet. Kansas City, you know, they had the 25th easiest schedule for the, for uh, that Patty Mahomes in the beginning of the season. Jumps up to 7. I'm not sure that matters at all. Uh, one that I do think is a little bit interesting and worth looking at, though, Cleveland. Cleveland has faced three of the toughest pass defenses thus far in the year, Washington, Indianapolis, and Pittsburgh. They've had a really tough time. One game that they had a respite there would be the Dallas game, but with 450, whatever it was, yards rushing, Baker Mayfield just didn't get a ba- chance to throw the ball a whole lot. So I am a little bit curious and hopeful for Baker Mayfield. He'll have the 10th the 12th easiest schedule for quarterbacks moving forward should get a lot easier for him. This offense has shown some get up and go. Baker hasn't necessarily done much. Even if his team is scoring 31, he's been disappointing, but I'm hopeful here might be somebody worth targeting. If you're, if you're weak at your quarterback two position, and let's say I like, I like Derek Carr. I like Las Vegas 13th easiest moving forward. So, so Carr intrigues me. He might be a target for me. He's got multiple touchdowns, and at least 261 or so in each of the last four games. Despite some really tough matchups, it does get easier. Maybe target him. Lastly, a handful of quarterbacks who are going to have tough sledding going forward. Uh, Chicago is right there in the bottom. Bottom six in the league schedule-wise moving forward. Uh, so far, Foles has faced two bottom ten matchups in the last three weeks. His only multi-touchdown, multi-passing touchdown game, I should say, was against the Falcons, they were 27th, not very good. I'm, I am concerned about Foles' potential production. He hasn't been that good anyway, as we mentioned earlier in the show. Minnesota and Kirk Cousins, they're going to have a, a real tough schedule moving forward, 28th, in fact. They've had three of the easiest match opponents in their, in their schedule thus far. Less than 19 completions in each of the three games where they played a tough opponent. And uh, yeah, I'm just concerned. Tough schedule coming forward, and he has proven to to be matchup dependent. Green Bay, obviously Aaron Rodgers has been lights out, but he's faced Minnesota. That's 21st, fourth best pass defense. Detroit's at 30. New Orleans at 19. Atlanta, 27. Tampa Bay's only the 15th best pass defense in the league, and we saw what happened to them this week. They got after him and fucked his world. I, I am a little concerned. Of course, if you're an Aaron Rodgers owner, he is Aaron Rodgers and he'll probably find a way, but you better not expect what we have seen. He's played some of the worst teams in the league and that gets a lot tougher. 29th easiest schedule moving forward. Detroit, 30th easiest schedule moving forward. They have played three bottom 
bottom 10 teams thus far or toughest 10 teams thus far. They've been mediocre at best versus them. And their only solid performance on the league, in fact, the New Orleans Saints. I don't really trust Matt Stafford right now. I don't trust Matthew Patricia right now. So I'm uh, I'm avoiding that situation. And the one that's worth a watch because the 31st toughest, second hardest quarterback schedule moving forward is uh, Tennessee Titans and Ryan Tannehill. But Ryan Tannehill's been lights out. Ryan Tannehill has been great. And they've had a, a middling schedule thus far, playing middle-of-the-road teams. Uh, Denver was the only real threat that they've played thus far. But Ryan Tannehill's just getting it done. So I'm, I'm not off of Tannehill. I'm still playing Tannehill. But you're going to have to watch that really closely as his opponents get a little tougher. Anyway, that's it for me, guys. That's your stat rat. Again, a peek behind the scenes. I hope you appreciated that. I hope you, uh, you're you okay with me going a little long to give you some of those stat categories that I think matter. A couple of running backs that you should probably look at. And uh, and uh, take, take that quarterback strength to schedule stuff and do whatever the hell you want with it. I'm done. You should tune in tomorrow to see what Sky's on, got on the schedule for you every single day of the week. Something coming out here on the Candlestick Kids. Do that. Check out the website. Hit us on social media. I will see you guys next Tuesday with another Stat Rat episode. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.